0: You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.
1: Welcome, everyone, to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. On this edition of our show. I'm going to be joined by Gonzaga head coach Mark Few, who will be a Hall of Famer, head coach of the number one team in the country, 24-0. We want to talk about the regular season journey. Not enough gets discussed on this because we're all about March Madness. That's the name of our podcast, the postseason. But what they accomplished in the middle of a pandemic, with or without a pandemic, is unbelievable. 24-0, scheduling on the fly, Jalen Suggs, Gets him in; he's a top three NBA draft pick. Aaron Cook transferred from Southern Illinois. You know who knew Corey Kispert and Drew Timmy would be first team All American type good? They're not both going to be there, but I think Corey will be. Uh, Andrew Nemhard gets eligible. They get through the schedule. They get deal with their COVID pause, and they're undefeated, ready to be potential national champs. So Mark Few will join me. Then I'm also going to be joined by a little bit of a different spin here on Monday, March 8th. That's International Women's Day, and I wanted to take a look at. The only Division I assistant coach on a men's team is a woman. Coach, Adnisha Curry, played at Oregon, played in the WNBA. She's on Richard Barron's staff at the University of Maine. Offers a tremendous perspective, and we need more of this. We need more people like Coach Curry on men's staffs. It matters. You're going to really enjoy our conversation about why it matters, why it would help certain teams, certain programs, and more – than anything, male student-athletes. I really believe in it. So I want you to listen to that interview. It's something different that we haven't done. Cats ranks, I'm going to look at this season's top 10 men's and women's programs at the same school. Not all time, because I'm not going to have Tennessee on there. Okay? This is this season. So I want to qualify that. Got to make sure everyone understands. It is this season. Not all time. Anyway. Then we'll get to my picks. 500 last week, I think. Who am I picking this week? That's all here on March Madness 365. Before we get to that, and before we get to my interview with Mark Few, the bracket. Our bracket is out as we're posting here on Tuesday. Number one seeds, Gonzaga, Michigan, Baylor, Illinois. Baylor loses. They play one good half against Iowa State. Not as well against Kansas. They slide behind Michigan. Illinois moves up. Two wins without Iowa. Sumo. Two line. Ohio State, they slide down. They've lost three. Alabama, Iowa, and West Virginia. Iowa moving up to the two line. On the twos, if Baylor and Illinois were to slide down, I don't think Michigan or Gonzaga are moving off the one now. We used to say Baylor's not moving off. Now I'm going to say Gonzaga and Michigan aren't moving off. On the twos, Ohio State still could move up. Alabama could move up. Iowa could move up. Even West Virginia could move up. They're all in play. Threes, Florida State down because of the loss to North Carolina. Kansas, Houston, Villanova down on the low end of the three after losing to Butler. On that line, there's still a chance Florida State could move up to a two. Fours, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas Tech, Purdue. Arkansas now on the four line. Could they move up to a three? Sure. What if they win the SEC? Purdue, I think they could keep moving up this four line. Maybe they could get to a three. We'll see what they do. Okay, other risers, Oklahoma State a five, Colorado a six, Maryland a six, San Diego State a nine. My last four in this week, Michigan State, I know people are like, what? They did beat Illinois and Ohio State, did lose to Maryland. They got to beat Indiana, split with Michigan, they're in. I've said it at the beginning, four and two in the final six, they're in. They don't do that, got to win some games in the Big Ten Tournament for sure. Then Boise State, they are easily, to me, the best team with San Diego State, those two, in the Mount West. I think that's probably where it should stop. Seton Hall and Drake, those two spots are up for grabs. Next four, Colorado State, Duke, Stanford, Indiana. I could see any one of those four climbing up and grabbing where Seton Hall and Drake are at this moment. And of course, there could be upsets in these other tournaments. So, you heard me say at the top, Gonzaga, the number one seed undefeated. Let's hear from their head coach, Mark Few. Mark we have talked many times, many, many times on the journey. And I wanted you to have a chance to appreciate here for the moment what this team has endured to get to 24 0 in the regular season because so much in our sport is about the postseason. And now that we can put a stamp on your regular season, I think it deserves the recognition of what you just accomplished.
2: Well, I mean, I, I don't know if I can put it into perspective because there's just so many. You know, factors that went into making this just such a remarkable regular season. Obviously, the first one is, just, as we all know, the COVID situation, where you're walking into you know incredibly stale and sterile environments. I mean, I personally think we have the best home court in America, and uh, you know, it's sold out for an inter squad scrimmage in October with people lined all the way out into the parking lot, and this continues that way all the way through the season with incredible student section and for our guys not to have that. And then you've been with us on the road, everywhere we play on the road, to sell out, you know, just great environments whether it's small gyms or huge arenas and, and, and to be able to, you know, amp up our energy and amp up our enthusiasm and amp up our, our effort uh, for 24 times is I've just been so impressed to, uh, not only with our group, Andy, but just with all the teams across America. They're just showing how much they love to, to play. And then the other thing that I would add uh, for our season this year is I mean, it's, so far it's been like Secretariat. I mean, we, we were preseason number one, right? So it's hard leading from the, you know, running from that lead position all year, and uh, these guys have dealt with that. Everybody's looking to knock them off that pedestal and that notch, including the schools that are thought of to be the bluebirds the blue of the sport. And uh, yet, we've uh, taken everybody's best shot and, and uh, got through it. It's
1: been a special group. So a couple things. First of all, as we know with COVID, as weird as it may sound to say this, a lot of it is timing. And your COVID situation was much earlier in the season where you had to pause during sort of the December holiday time. And I know you missed the Baylor game, but there were a couple other non-conference games. You ended up sort of picking up later with some back-to-backs. But, you know, when you look back, I mean, the timing worked well for you guys versus maybe some of these other teams where it hit them either in the middle of the season or toward the end. Uh, And that was something, of course, you couldn't predict.
2: No, you just can't predict. The only thing I'd predict is When it comes, it spreads. (laughs) It's hot and it spreads. But it's interesting, you know. We came out and played one of our best games of the year on essentially two and a half practices, and it really impacted us. But yet I can see the impact it had on Baylor, and that's not the same Baylor team we saw prior. I mean, and they'll get it back. Uh, You know, they were awesome before it hit. So I think it just affects teams differently and, and i know people have alluded to it there's a difference between a you know, whatever a COVID pause is it's, but when your whole team gets it i mean you're just shut down and there's nothing going on so, you know the thing we're all worried about is if, if anybody any player has to sit out from the nc tournament it's a disaster so uh, we're all hoping and praying that, that doesn't happen
1: you know, this is also very interesting how this all came together. I want to think back to the season. Obviously, you knew what you had in Jalen Suggs. Maybe you didn't know he'd be this good. Uh, you
2: knew what you had in Corey. Yeah, I mean, careful man. I mean, I, it, that that one—he's been unbelievable in, in in that way. With just a literally a guy that only identifies as a top five pick, but amazing teammate, amazing has assimilated with our group as our veterans. Um, how mature has been about taking coaching and, and yearning for coaches. So, all of those have been great. You yeah, know, we were hoping and expecting that, but then when he really has delivered on that time and time again this year, it's uh, and, and been pretty dang consistent, you know, for a first
1: My little night
2: out, you kind of
1: know what you're getting. So, all right. So, that was a major, major plus. Corey's elevation certainly is a three point shooter. Another big plus, Drew Timmy, Joel Ayi, And then this is the key thing that I know you didn't know was, A, you didn't know Andrew Nemhard would get eligible and his impact. And then, B, you never know what kind of impact someone like Aaron Cook's going to have as a fifth year sort of moving up a level. And th- those two guys, in their own ways, let alone a healthy Anton Watson and Omar Bilo, which you weren't 100% sure what you were getting, are other pieces that have been a huge plus for you.
2: Yeah, no, they really are. I would point to – I think Andrew really took us from maybe like a consensus top 25, top 15 level team to just – he really put us in the area code of being top five. He's really, really good, and he, he really gets it. He knows how to play, and, and he's just – you know, he was a little bit reticent to mess with the chemistry of the other guys, which tells him how good a guy he is. Just gives us a veteran guard who's, you know, played in a big-time league and played a lot of big-time games and, and a lot of savvy and, uh, uh, you know, just you just add a really, really high-level player. I mean, an NBA-caliber player in my opinion. So uh, uh, that's been great, but Aaron Cook's uh, contribution, like you said, needs to be, you know, acknowledged. He's walked into games where we've been kind of – struggling or just kind of lagging along, He's really jumped it up on numerous occasions this year, and he's really bought into that role. It's been fun for him to see him experiencing that, and it's kind of what we would hope. And he showed out in a lot of big games, you know. He showed he just belongs, and he became a real integral part of the the team in in this year. So you've
1: had great players before, but I can't remember a time where you've had two Potential first team All Americans and player of the year in Corey Kispert and Drew Timmy. I mean, am I often
2: that you've had two like that? Oh, gosh. I mean, I, I mean, you know, I mean like, nobody considered probably JB Batista like that, but he was unbelievable. Yeah, it was like 20 and 10 that year Adam went off, but uh, I don't know. We had Will Turner and Sabonis, and those two were awesome. Uh, hard to say, man. <laughs> we've, had some, we've been blessed
1: but it just shows just their development because coming out of high school, it wasn't like those two guys were going to be potential first team all Americans.
2: Yeah. Corey's he to be on the cover of whatever video game. He's a great student. He's a great leader. He's an incredible person. He's an incredible basketball player. Who's worked unbelievably hard at his craft. And is just a wonderful teammate. He's just a dream come true to coach. So, uh, it's awesome to see you're a poster child for if you involve your coaching staff and you have great communication with your staff and your parents and yourself when you're going through the draft process, you can really help yourself. All
1: right, last two things one is the schedule. When you look back on it, uh, who knows if this could happen in the future, but you know, it's crazy what you put together in literally weeks and days. And and clearly that has helped this team. Also helped your positioning for being a number one seed. When you look back at about picking up the Iowa game, and West Virginia replacing Tennessee, and Kansas and Auburn, and uh, obviously you 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 had all, Baylor, it just couldn't happen. You know all and then you know, we added Virginia out of nowhere, and Baylor, Virginia. By, I mean, we had a Virginia right. probably
2: a week out. I want to say, <laughs> in, D- in Dallas, there so. The Wild Wild West, man. Back in the day, and it was uh, it was a lot of fun, you know. And it showed the camaraderie that the coaches have. I mean, I can tell you, we came close to playing, you know, Villanova at one point this year. That, that almost went down close with Kentucky and some other things. So, uh, no matter how daunting and how scary it felt uh, as a head coach, it was something that we just needed to do, and it's
1: kind of what we always try to do. Yeah, and there was also. A possible Houston game amid all that too. So, all right, last thing, Mark, as you get ready for the conference tournament and the NCAA tournament, obviously the uh, Holy Grail here, uh, this is going to be like no other. It's all in one area. But the mental aspect of this, because you've got the talent to win it, and so do other teams, obviously. But what do you think it will take mentally for a team to win six games all in one metro area? What's it going to take to pull that off, you think?
2: Just require incredible perseverance and just like mentally just dealing with you know just sitting in a hotel and being locked down and um, that that's gonna be really, really hard. you know that's why I'm pressing for more outside time for you know players and coaches and things like that. We, we just gotta make this thing so it's uh, palatable and and, uh, and and doable and, and special for these guys. I know it's not going to be normal. It's not going to be like the last time we went, you know, but, you know, it, it's still the biggest moments in their careers. And so uh, it's going to take an incredible amount and your teamness is going to show. And, and I think, you know, probably the experienced guys and teams are going to be the ones that'll deal with the best, but you never know, you know, I mean, this is like our 23rd straight or something like that. So the thing's that a crap shoot, maybe some, Teams that we never thought of busting through the probably the first and second round, and uh, you know, not having home environments in the, that first and second round, I think it's going to play a big factor in this too, because uh, we usually have those, especially for that you know, those eight, nine games, and one and two and you know, and seven ten type game, two versus seven ten. So uh, that's going to make it really interesting. Well, Mark, can't wait. We're
1: going to get there soon enough. Uh, Appreciate it. Stay safe, and I know we'll see you soon. Yeah,
2: you got it, man. Thanks. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything.
1: All right, it's time here for Katz Ranks. And for this week, uh, in honor of International Women's Day, I'm going to look at the top 10 programs this season for men's and women's basketball combined. Let's look at the rankings, okay? Let's start at number 10. UCLA, trying to win the Pac-12 outright, battling with Oregon and USC, not ranked yet on the men's side. On the women's side, the Bruins check in at number 10 in the rankings from last week. At number nine, this may surprise some people, but UConn, number one women's team in the country. On the men's side, probably a double-digit seed, could get up to a nine or an eight, uh, but they're not safely in for sure yet. So that's why i have them further down obviously the women's program is the best in the country but the men still have a little ways to come up there was a time when they were clearly number one in both men and women at number eight let's go to oregon the ducks right now battling with ucla for that pac-12 title and usc uh the women though still doing quite well out west they check in ranked at number 14. So, both programs, Dana and Kelly Graves doing a great job on the men's and women's side in Eugene. At number seven, Maryland. The Terps are doing a phenomenal job in both sports. Brenda Fries notching a record number of wins at Maryland. She's got the Terps uh, top the Big Ten at number eight nationally with a chance to compete for a national championship And Mark Turgeon has the men's team, I think, safely in the NCAA tournament. So both men's and women's programs at Maryland, outstanding. All right, number six, Arkansas, the Razorbacks. Right now on the women's side are at 16 in the country, one of the best teams in the SEC. And oh, right now on the men's side, they check in at number 12 because they just knocked off Alabama. And the Razorbacks are number two in the SEC on the men's side. So Arkansas's men's and women's basketball is doing great right now in Fayetteville. At number five, Ohio State. So the Buckeyes have always had a great women's basketball program. They're at number 15 right now. And after losing three in a row, they're at number seven in the men's side, but also a chance to still be one. There are two. But Ohio State's men's and women's basketball programs have always been consistently good at the same time. At number four, West Virginia. West Virginia under Hugs Bob Huggins, they are at six on the men's side, at 17 on the women's side, one of the best programs in the Big 12. So West Virginia doing great in the sport as well. All right, so now we're into our top three. Baylor, Kim Mulhey and Scott Drew, they've been running elite programs for years now, down in Waco. So the women are at number seven, and the men are at number three. And both could win the national championship. So there's a chance you could have Baylor's men's and women's win the national championship. At number two, let's go to the Big Ten. While Maryland is the best women's team, Michigan isn't that far behind. They check in at number 12 on the women's side, and right now they're at number two on the men's side. So another great program going on right now in the Big Ten in men's and women's basketball. Number one, I'm going with the Zags because the women's program has been a top 25 team of late. They're at 21 right now, 19 and three. They are favored to win the WCC and join the men's team, which is number one team in the country, undefeated. So the program and basketball in general up in Spokane has been absolutely sensational. And so I think the women need to get the credit that they deserve. They're not probably gonna win the national championship on the women's side, but they got a chance to go pretty far. And so the men's and women's side at Gonzaga, I'm putting them number one this season. Not historically, this season. They may have the most balance. You could push me on Michigan, Baylor, Maryland, Arkansas, West Virginia, Ohio State, I get it. But they got the number one men's team undefeated. And the women's team isn't far behind. Only three losses so far this season. So that's where I'm going. Gonzaga, Michigan. Baylor, West Virginia, Ohio State, Arkansas, Maryland, Oregon, UConn, and UCLA. Not historically, this season, right now. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, Coach Anisha Curry from the University of Maine. And um, on Monday, March 8th, it is International Women's Day, and we wanted to take a page here uh, or a segment, I should say, on our March Madness 365 podcast to go down a path that I think is opening up. And I think you are part of that trailblazing group. And I'm good friends with Stephanie Reddy, uh, who was one of the first. It's Cop and State. She works for us at uh, NBA TV, part of the Turner family. And I remember when she got that job with Fang Mitchell and how it was something that people hadn't seen before, a woman coaching men. You know, we're so conditioned to seeing men coaching women, I don't see why it can't be the reverse. So I want to first go back to your own path and at what point you thought that this even was plausible and and why you chose this. So went to Oregon, WNBA, while you were playing, at what point did you say, you know what, first off, I do want to coach.
0: I never wanted to coach. You know, I always tell the story, It was about 25 years old and I was coming back from overseas in the WNBA, you know, doing the usual community stuff and, and, you know, working with boys and girls uh, with an AAU program in Oregon team concept. And it was run by my former college coach at CSUN. And he was like, you're born a coach. And I was like, no, dude, like, I just don't want to do this. This just keeps me in shape, you know, keeps me sharp, leadership point guard skills. And then it just kind of grew on me. You know, and it, it's so true what my grandmother said, like when you're called to do something in life, you really can't run from it. And no matter I no matter how hard I tried to fight it, somehow I found myself in the gym and it would be small group. Then all of a sudden on weekends, I'm sitting in front and I'm, I'm coaching boys basketball, you know, all day in the gym, just game after game on, you know, and then coaching girls basketball. And I kind of fought it still. I I continued my career and then I started coaching overseas. And once I committed to it, you know, I just, I fell in love with it. So when you were overseas, were you coaching men or women? I was coaching, uh, women. Well, actually, you know, it was more youth development, you know, so I coached in Israel. So I was developing basketball for both boys and girls, um, from ages like five to 16, running leadership development with an organization called Peace Players. So I was training both men and women coaches there. And then from there, I went to coach um, professionally in China. And after that, um, went to Vietnam. And then Coach Barron kind of found me through a mutual friend, brother of mine, uh, Gannon Baker. And that's how I started my college career.
1: So he actually has a unique perspective because he was a women's coach and then, and this doesn't happen that often at the University of Maine or well, anywhere, excuse me. And then they hired him to coach the men. So I'm curious, first off, how that appealed to you because he has coached both and also just, uh, you know, as as you're going through the process to making sure that you're going to be treated equal, that you're going to have the same power as any male assistant
0: and that you're going to be treated with the same amount of respect. You know what? You know, me and Coach Barron have a really, really good working relationship, and it started on the women's side. And when he took his time off for his health, and I took my time off um, to be more with my father and family, I started kind of working in the NBA with the NBA Assistant Coaches Program, going through that program and um, getting a chance to really get my feet wet on the men's side, you know, coaching at draft combines and G League showcases. And me and Coach Barron just, kept in touch with each other never really talked about basketball it's always about family you know checking on each other and he would always ask oh you're coaching now I said yeah I'm doing a little something I, I didn't really make a scene about it and then when he got hired I congratulated him through a text and the next day he literally said you have time for a chat and I said sure and he was like okay you ready to come back to coach and that was kind of our conversation we never talked about anything of you know, me being equal or roles or anything, and it was more like you're a good coach. You know my stuff. You know what I like, and I know you can get the job done. So let's go to work.
1: So what was that first meeting like with the
0: guys on the team? <laughs> it was it was just a normal meeting. You know, we didn't make a big deal out about it. We really didn't talk about it. And I I think you know sometimes we make too much of it, and the guys really could care less.
1: You know, I'm going to stop you and say that I think that's a great generational thing. You know, I went to school in the late 80s and, you know, I just remember my coach in high school. My, I remember the JV coach in high school. He was so stereotypical. I may be dating myself by saying this, but he was a bit of an Archie bunker. Okay. okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, and total, like, just cursing nonstop, misogynist comments. And I wonder if that generation could pull this off today. You know So I mean? I think that the acceptance, which I'm thrilled for, has changed. To your point about today's youth doesn't care, I think that's great, but I don't think that was the case 10, 20, 30 years ago.
0: Yeah, I I definitely don't think that, but you know, I always credit the start of the WNBA and just more women's sports, you know, in America for young boys and, and men to see these young men know more about my career. So when I'm talking about, you know, introducing myself on a recruiting call, they're literally chatting. Like I Googled you, you played here, you did this, you know, did you play with this player? You know, one of my best friends, she's going to Louisville or she's getting recruited by North Carolina, like just the excitement around sport. And then a lot of these young men, which I'm noticing now have moms, aunts, grandmothers, they have generations and sisters that are really elite athletes, not just in basketball, but in other sports. So they're used to being around elite level women and being taught by them. A lot of the guys that, you know, I recruit, they're like, oh, my mom's the best athlete. (laughs) And then they're just saying, you know, she taught me how to shoot. So the conversation when we had that first meeting, the guys were excited. Because a lot of them had already seen me work on the women's side and win, and they enjoyed my workouts. They would watch my workouts when I work with the women's staff and the women's players. So uh, it was a little leftover from that um, coaching staff of players when we arrived. So it was like I came in and they were like, oh, yeah, Coach Eddie's back. You know, what's up? And, you know, let's get to work, you know. And then it was a kind of joke because everyone knows I love 6 a.m. workouts. And, you know, those who, knew me. They were like, yeah, if you're in her group, just get ready to get, um, get on the court at 6am. She likes to get you in and out early. <laughs> well, and I would
1: also add to that, what you were saying before about this generation of women who are elite athletes, we're now getting the the second round of moms who now are coming back and playing, you know, obviously the most famous one is Serena. And so we're seeing that level. And this youth is now seeing, well, wait a minute, you know, their mom. And they're getting back out there. So that stereotype is gone as well, which I think helps in all of this and breaking down barriers. Uh, but yet there's still a handful, literally a handful who have done what you're doing. We're hoping to see more. Obviously, we're waiting for that day when Becky Hammond gets an NBA head coaching job. She deserves it. You know, Carol Lawson, before she took Duke, she was on the Celtics staff. And who knows? She could have gone the same up the same ladder and may still at some point. Don Staley clearly could coach uh, yeah. <laughs> any level, any gender doesn't yeah. matter. Um, but what's it going to take for male head coaches to do more of what you're
0: seeing at Maine and the few times we've seen it in the past? You know what? I think it's it's just realizing that gender has nothing to do with success. It doesn't. I mean, if you want the best coaches, that's what you have to look at, and you have to look at a diverse pool of people. We're always talking about diversity and inclusion and things like that. But, you know, there are things that, you know, male coaches offer that female coaches can't and vice versa. And I think, you know, the mindset is actually interviewing, having those conversations, talking basketball with other people that don't look like you. I think that's the cool thing about being me is I can sit with, A room full of people all over the world, both male and female coaches, and it has tremendously helped me as a coach. I can't stress more how much that helps these student athletes. You know, for them to be taught, led, mentored, and have role models of both male and female coaches, it's a win-win for any staff that does it. And I always tell people: in a two-three zone, is a two-three zone. A matchup is a matchup. Analytics is the same analytics on the women's side and the men's side. You know, just have the courage to find the best people that can get the job done for your kids, your players and your program, whether they're male or female. So
1: I'm going to take it even another step further that I'm a huge believer and I'll be on my soapbox for a moment here. And, and we're just coming out of Black History Month whether it's a corporation, whether it's an editorial board, whether it's a newsroom in my world or previous world, uh, doesn't matter. You need representation, people who don't look like you in the room, male, female, people of color, not of color, you name it. And I think it would help the male student athlete to have a female presence for off the court issues. If there is a female assistant coach that might lower the temperature, you know, the quote, locker room talk, That may or may not occur, all those kinds of things that are going to make this person more adaptable in regular society. You know, if you have that presence there, that's going to help. Just like, you know, it would obviously help to not have an all white staff, or if you have a majority white team, not have at least someone of color on the staff. I mean, there's so many ways to balance everything because I heard it throughout the course of the summer and talking to players and coaches how white coaches would hear what their black players were saying, but they weren't listening. And this is the first time a lot of them told me they really listened what it was like when the Jersey was off and they're leaving the arena and suddenly the cop car pulls up and they're behind the wheel and what that's like, because now it doesn't say, you know, state you now you're just a black male. So the coaches weren't listening to that. They might've been hearing it. They weren't listening, but by talking about it, by having presence, that can always help And so I'm a believer. It's not a shtick. It's not a gimmick. It literally will help these young men in the rest of their lives. So that's my soapbox moment.
0: Yeah, I can't agree with you more. I think it has definitely it's the start of my fourth season. From the three years that I started here, just the growth of our guys and the things that they're involved with in regards to women's rights, you know, on and off campus. And the committees that they're doing and stuff they fight for, I think that's a huge testament to how diverse our coaching staff is. It's something that they see. They if they see me fighting for women, they they're like, okay, I care about my coach, and I care about the things also that she cares about, and she cares about us as you know, black men, other men of color, international she cares about all of us, then I should care. And I should talk about these things. And, you know, just the powerful conversations we have, the vulnerability that they have, what they, I don't think they may have with, you know, other male coaches. Um, But, you know, bringing those conversations to the forefront um, are, are truly powerful. And it, it only makes, you know, like you said, for a better tomorrow, you know, we're always talking about changing you know, these, these stereotypes in these environments, but <laughs> that starts with actual action, you know, you want to change it, then you have to start hiring people and, and putting people in these positions. So it, it's not, I said something powerful to one of my friends the other day, I said, just think about this. I'll use my baby brother. I said, he's 15 years old for a majority of the life. He's had mom, dad, but he had majority of his mom. All his life, he had his sister. That's normal. You hang out, you listen to your mom, you listen to her leadership, blah, blah, blah. Then he goes to college. And if he's an athlete on scholarship, majority of the time, there's no more leadership like that anymore. It's five precious years of their development where they just go home on break. And if you're a college athlete, you barely go home, Harley. You just don't. Um, And I think that's a a huge piece that we're not thinking about in the actual development of our male student-athletes. That's
1: an amazing point. Suddenly, the strong female presence in their lives is just gone. And, uh, you know, during that sort of latter stage of, of adolescence into young adulthood, and it's just missing. And you're right. I mean, I think that a lot of these coaches need to, think about how can I better my staff and by doing it, it is probably by more than anything, diversifying, uh, to have different voices. Um, and so I hope that you are, you know, obviously, not just in a handful, but uh, the first of many in this new generation. So Maine, just curious, being this your year, year four, how have the winters treated you?
0: Oh my God, I, I still can't stand them, but you know, that's why, Indoor sports only for me. (laughs) I'm through and through California, girl. You know, I don't like cold weather at all. I'm the typical winter comes, I'm parking my car as close as possible. I have to like meditate, talk to myself, keep my heater on as long as possible. And I literally sprint to the front door.
1: (laughs) Well, I will say this, I'll wrap up this way that, you know, and I, I wanted to, I forgot to mention this, that the search firms and the athletic directors out there really should take heed on this and think out of the box because it really shouldn't be out of the box. When you're hiring your next head coach and you're talking him through it, say, look, this is how you can better your staff. Doesn't mean you have to hire a woman, but you should definitely consider it. And there are plenty out there. And then, you know, for those women that are coming up through the ranks who, you know, have played and know the game, you should also think about this. You should also think that it's not just, Women's basketball, you can also coach in men's basketball at D one, D two, D three. And hopefully that will be the trend going forward. I hope so. <laughs> Wonderful catching up with you. Hope you stay safe and uh, that University of Maine has a as a full and rich season next season. Thank you. And now it's time for March Chadness. Chad Acock, my good friend from Turner Sports. It's time for some predictions, Chad. We are in the last week of the regular season, believe it or not, but we also have conference tournaments this week. That's what happens every year. Sort of the, the power schools are finishing up, the one bid leagues start their tournaments, and then next week, it's all tournaments before Selection Sunday on March 14th. So in the last true regular season week, last week, how did I do?
3: Yeah, Andy, uh, we initially gave you 15 games to pick, and I was like, all right, surely he won't find a way to pick 500 here. But after one postponement and a 7-7 seven and seven record, you did go five hundred. Um, but you had some big moments, Andy. You, you picked both of the Arkansas games correct, and that you know, led them to be your team of the week. You also nailed both Texas games, both their win over Kansas and their loss against Texas Tech. So, you know, some strong moments. Illinois found a way to win at Wisconsin. You know, maybe a little shorthanded there, but they still got the W. So, Andy, you know, you're getting, you're getting hot with some big moments. Um, but how are you feeling entering this first week of March? Well where, where did I stumble? Yeah, I think the biggest ones were just some of those big upsets like uh, Creighton uh, uh, and, and Xavier and uh, USC lost to Colorado, uh, the second game of the San Diego State Boise split, things like that. you just kind of missed on these these upsets where maybe like a team like Ohio State lost at home to Iowa.
1: Well, and I do remember last week you did challenge me on the altitude issue with USC at Colorado, uh, and I just wasn't this was the first time. Really, in a couple of years, that Colorado actually finally won games they needed to win back to back. It feels like this Colorado group, and I, you know, sort of McKinley writes a senior. So, this group of the last three or four years, they've had their moments, but they could never string together multiple good games. And this was the first time I can remember where they needed to win two and they won
3: two, and they swept the L.A. schools. Yeah, they did. And Yeah, you mentioned the altitude it brought up last week. It's a place where when uh, when I was working with, with Georgia, we played there, and even after a practice, my chest was just burning. You know, we're just not used to it. But, yeah, no Colorado. Big wins. They're now ranked. And they're on the rise in your power 36, and they're getting hot at the right time. Um, but let's go ahead and take a look at next week. Huge, huge matchups to start this week, uh, probably the matchups of the week. And the first one is number three Baylor, At number six, West Virginia. Baylor dropping one spot after that loss, but they have to bounce back and uh, it'll be at Morgantown. So, who do you like to win?
1: Wow. I I don't normally ever pick against Baylor this season, but I'm going with the Mountaineers. You know, there's not going to be, you know, a crazy crowd, but if I'm not mistaken, they'll allow some in. And I do think that I want to see Baylor play the way we thought they could play pre pause. And until I see it against a team like West Virginia, I'm not picking them. Unlike Michigan, which had like a half hangover from their pause. Baylor has only played one good half among four. Did not play well in the first half against Iowa State. Got down double figures and did not play up to the Baylor potential in either half against Kansas. So I'm going
3: West Virginia. Wow. Big win for West Virginia. They're hot. Yeah, man, after Baylor lost, you know that was really the first time we've seen them be a little bit mortal. We thought they were up there in the Gonzaga tier, and they're still very good, don't get me wrong. But, uh, yeah, that'd be a shocker right there if that we didn't see coming a couple weeks ago. Same night, though, top five matchup, number four, Illinois, at number two, Michigan. Andy, I think we expect Io to miss this game, um, but Michigan's arguably the hottest team in the country. You know, you can make a case for Gonzaga, but Michigan's right there, too, with with some big-time matchups and big-time wins they've had lately. Um, you know, Andy, I'm not sure Illinois would pull this out with IO. So surely no chance without him, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would wrestle with this if he was playing for sure. And we're probably not going to know until game time. Uh, so I'm going to go Michigan, you know, Wisconsin is not Michigan. Michigan is clearly better. And so the road win that Illinois had at Wisconsin is great, you know, keeps them up as a possible one, but I just can't see them winning in Ann Arbor without IO without a full healthy aisle or without an aisle that's played, you know, in a week. And and the other thing, even if he does play, he would have to play with a mask on. He's a very aggressive, you know, player in terms of taking it to the hole. And I do think there's going to be an adjustment of how he will handle contact because clearly this was more than, I mean, I'm not speculating, but if it was just your traditional broken nose, I think he would have been right out there with a mask on the next day. They're being very cautious here. So, It's going to, I think, it's going to take some time to see how he's going to adjust. So I wouldn't be surprised if they are being overly cautious because they got a chance to go to the Final
3: Four. And so that's the big picture for Illinois right now. I agree. The long-term potential there is just, it's probably not worth the risk. Um, So I agree with you there. One more matchup that night, a ranked matchup, number 25, Wisconsin at number 23, Purdue. Uh, The Badgers, they've lost three of four and four of six. Barely hanging out at that AP ranking. I was a little bit surprised they were still ranked. I don't know about you, but uh, Purdue, they've won three in a row. Who do you like to win in Mackey Arena?
1: Yeah, I was very surprised they were still ranked. I mean, they've really struggled. As I mentioned last week, I saw them in person against Iowa, and they really struggled in that game you know, losing at home to Illinois. I mean, obviously their home court at the Kohl Center is not what it used to be. I'm all in on Purdue. I think they are going to be a team that's going to be rising. People got to buy stock in them. I love Jaden Ivey. Zach Eadie's going to be really tough to deal with inside. Like to me, Purdue's the team that nobody's talking about that could be in the Sweet 16. And for those that are checking on our bracket on Tuesday, you will see Purdue as a four seed. That's how much they're climbing right now. And I think it's deserving. So I'm going Purdue.
3: Boiler up. It's about their time. Let's turn the page to Wednesday. Number 14, Creighton, at number 10, Villanova. Two teams coming off tough road losses, Creighton at Xavier and Nova at Butler. But the standings are still pretty tight with these teams in the Big East. Uh, Who do you think bounces back?
1: Yeah, I I don't see Creighton getting this one. I mean, Villanova did not play well in their loss at Butler on Sunday. And rarely do we see Jay Wright teams not play well in back-to-back games. Uh, especially when there's so much on the line. Like, they got a chance to, you know, really make a statement here because they're on the fringe of that three line right now. I mean, they had a chance to be a two, and now they're the last three on our three line. They've got a two-game lead with Creighton. So you win this game, it's over. They win the Big East, they
3: lose it, and it gets very interesting. I think Villanova wins. All right, big win for Nove at home that hopefully will give them a little bit more you know, motivation and uh, momentum. Let's look at Thursday night. Number 17, Oklahoma State at number three, Baylor. Huge week for Baylor. This is their second of three big games. They'll return home from Morgantown, a game that you think they'll lose to face a hot Cade Cunningham and Oklahoma State. Who wins? I'll go Baylor here.
1: Baylor has the advantage inside. I can't see them getting swept this week. Uh, So I think they return home to Waco, reset, get this one going forward into the Big 12 tournament. And so I'm going
3: Baylor. All right. And then later that night, you've got number 15, Texas, at number 16, Oklahoma. Uh, we've picked this game before. It got postponed. Oklahoma did win this first matchup by one. Who do you like to win the rematch? So I'm going to go with an upset.
1: I'm going to go with Texas. I like this Texas team a hair better than Oklahoma. You know, I, I know as we're taping, they're playing Bedlam 2 in Stillwater, lost in overtime the first time to Oklahoma State. But I'm going to go with Texas winning in Norman.
3: All right. That'd be a big win. And, you know, I'm high on Texas, too. I think if they get it right and uh, get hot in this Big 12 tournament, they could be a team that's a Final Four threat. Now let's kind of turn the page to Saturday, a pretty huge day for several reasons. We've got some big-time matchups, got a big-time rivalry, and then we'll have our first AQ bid that'll be locked in. But let's start with number 17, Oklahoma State, at number 6, West Virginia. We've touched on these teams, but, you know, a big week for the Big 12 in general. Who wins this second big matchup in Morgantown?
1: So I may surprise some people, but I think Oklahoma State steals this one. I don't think they go 0 for this week. I think they lose to Baylor, beat West Virginia. West Virginia, in my opinion, will be coming off a Baylor win. If this plays out, they would have been two games behind Baylor. I mean, they can't win the league based on that. Um, I guess technically they could, but I don't see it happening. So this would be sort of the clincher for Baylor by West Virginia losing. I'm going to Oklahoma State in a minor upset.
3: Yeah, maybe you have West Virginia, you know, just on a high there after that big win over Baylor, if it holds true. And then the letdown against Oklahoma State. I see your logic, Andy, but we'll, we'll see if it holds true. That's a, that's a tough place to win. Number four, Illinois at number seven, Ohio State. Another big matchup, another game we're not sure about Io. Will he play? Will he not? Is it worth the risk? Probably not. Um, but who do you like to win?
1: So this is really tough because I hate picking two losses for these Big Ten teams in the same week. But someone's going to have to get that one seed. OK, and uh, I think they're going to keep swapping Illinois, Ohio State in the next week or so. And so I'm going to go Ohio State here, uh, moving back up to the one line by beating Illinois, uh, because I don't know about Iowa and Ohio State. I can't see them losing three straight big games at home after losing to Michigan and Iowa.
3: Yeah, it would be normally tough to pick against Illinois twice in one week, but a little shorthanded here, I think once they get Iowa, back, maybe that'll flip their momentum and you won't have to worry about it think they'll be able to kind of write their own ship when they get their guy back. And then the rivalry we kind of hinted at here, another unranked matchup of Uh, Duke-UNC. First matchup lived up to the hype. UNC won by four in a tight game. Um, Duke should be desperate here for a win, though. Who do you think wins the rematch?
1: I'm going to go Carolina. I just have more faith in Carolina than Duke. Uh, Carolina bounced back with the win against Florida State after losing at home to Marquette. You know, they're going to be at home. We saw with 3,000 fans. The difference it was, Roy Williams, Walker Kessler talking about what it meant to them to just have some noise. Uh, So I like Carolina
3: uh, getting the sweep. Yeah, they've got the momentum. um, So we'll see if that holds true. And then the first AQ of the season, the OVC. You know, Belmont won the regular season title. Moorhead State finished a game behind. And Moorhead State actually closed out their regular season with a win over Belmont. Who do you like to win this first conference tournament automatic bid? So I'm going to go
1: Belmont. I mean... The issue we got to make sure that he's okay, but Nick Muzensky, their leading scorer, um, you know he's hurt here at the end of the season, and so that's a factor because you know he hasn't played since February 20th. If he's completely out, I may shift to Moorhead State, but for these purposes, uh, I'm going to go with Belmont that they find a way with or without him.
3: Yeah, Belmont—they're one of those those programs that always does seem to find a way. So we'll see if that holds true. And then Sunday, March 7th, we'll go back to a couple more games here. Number 25, Wisconsin at number five, Iowa. Uh, We touched on the Badgers, but Iowa, they've also kind of flipped the momentum back their way after that win at Ohio State. Who do you like to win?
1: Uh, I'm going Iowa. On senior day, however many fans they allow in there, I don't see Luka Garza and Jordan Bohannon losing to
3: Wisconsin. No chance. That should be an emotional game, too. There, you probably some tears flowing at the end of that one. Let's look again at number 18, Texas Tech. At number three, Baylor, two teams we've already touched on. Um, you think Baylor loses and then rights the ship. They've got one more game, the third straight ranked matchup this week uh, before the Big 12 tourney. Who wins?
1: I go Baylor. I think they end on a high as well and you know get some
3: momentum going in the Big 12 tournament. All right, the Bears back on track. And then three more automatic qualifiers uh, up for grabs here. Let's start with the Big South. This, is a, this was Winthrop's league in the regular season. They won the league easily by five games, with 17-1 and one in league play. Are you riding with Winthrop? I am. 20-1. and one. Pat Kelsey gets it done. They get the AQ and you know, and the bid to the tournament. Yeah, no surprise there. Now, the A-Sun, Liberty uh, won this league by one game, but they've won nine in a row. Um, are you sticking with Liberty or you got a little upset here?
1: No, I mean, Bellarmine's had a great year. 10 and 3 in the league, 13 and 6 overall. But I'm going with Richie McKay and the Liberty Flames, 20 and 5,
3: nine-game winning streak. They get the AQ out of the A Sun. Yeah, Liberty and Belmont, two teams lately that have kind of gotten it done. Now let's look at the MVC. This was a pretty fun league this year. You know, Loyola, Chicago, uh, they pulled out the regular season title, but Drake was right there. They were ranked for part of the season, one of the last undefeated teams. And then you got teams like Missouri State, you know, that weren't too far behind, even Indiana State. Um, Andy, who do you like to win the MVC?
1: So, look, this league has produced multiple upsets. Bradley won it two years in a row in, if I'm not mistaken, 18 and 19. Obviously, we didn't have one last year. Uh, Well, we had an MVC tournament, but not a uh, NCAA tournament. So, you know, I I think Loyola still wins it. This does not always happen where the top seed wins the Valley. But Drake is not 100%. Loyola is just better than Missouri State, Indiana State. Valpo, which has been tough to put out. They could be a dark horse like Eva Bradley has been, but I just think with Cameron Krutwig and Lucas Williamson, the two vets who were in the Final Four as freshmen, uh, I think they end up getting this done, getting
3: the AQ, and then Drake has to sweat out Selection Sunday. All right, that'll be fun if it holds true. But Andy, we will uh, we'll revisit these picks next week. I think we gave you eleven games and then four tournament bids, so we'll we'll see how this turns out.
1: I'm feeling good. I'm feeling confident. Thanks, Chad. Yeah, sure thing. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. We are in the last week of the regular season. Conference tournaments starting next week. All conference tournaments. The week after, we'll have a bracket. It'll be Selection Sunday. So just so you know, we will have that Selection Sunday podcast. We're going to tape that Selection Sunday night, right after the bracket. So that'll be available to you. And of course, we will be tracking the tournament on site throughout the course of the month of March and into early April. Appreciate all of you, our entire Turner Sports team, Chad Acock, Abby Stoltz, Sean Bartley, Michael Kaplan, and everyone at NCAA.com who does an outstanding job repurposing this podcast and everything else that we produce at March Madness. Appreciate all of you out there downloading, listening.
2: Stay safe. We'll talk again next week.